Tacky Talk Time, folks. State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy is joining us uh, for the February 15th edition of Tacky Talk. How are you, Tacky? Hey, good afternoon, Joe. Uh, we're midway through March, given the fact it's a leap year. It's 29 days. It's a little bit off, but it's uh, it's uh, just a tad bit off the middle of the year, the middle of the month, sorry. I wish it was the middle of the year, so I could tell you. That's when session closes at the end of July. <laughs> yeah, I can see you're rushing things because you said March and not February. <laughs> but did it say March? Okay, yes. I do March are on my mind now, right? <laughs> uh, did you survive the big blizzard? <laughs> yeah, again, I refer as the uh, north, uh, the northeaster head fake, uh, the, <laughs> or the near or the New England head fake, depending how you want to put it. Uh, uh, obviously, I think uh, those of us a bit older know that ever since the blizzard of '78. Uh, we've the people who live here have interesting behaviors. Uh, one, we obsess over bread and eggs uh, when there's a storm, and uh, you all know what I'm saying. And uh, secondly, uh, is that we take a low risk approach uh, since the blizzard of '78. I mean, I remember as a kid, more than once before the modern um, computer modeling, you know, it snowed like nothing, but they still cut off school. The 78 blizzard really has changed our behavior in so many levels. And it's almost like generational. It's like your mom and dad bought like eggs and milk in a panic and you do too. So it's 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 something if you don't live here and like you will live here for the first time, even people from snowier states like Minnesota or whatever, and I see our behavior in grocery stores and eggs, bread and milk, I always get like, what's wrong with your people situation? I'm like, well, it's a bit of a story from 1978. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, for folks who don't know, it's, I mean, people were housebound. Uh, you could not drive. There was a ban on driving and uh, all the stores ran out of everything. Yeah. And regretfully, people actually did die, um, you know, on 128 for being snowed in. And uh, those remember, uh, and I was very young when that happened, obviously. Uh, I do remember the snow and waiting my dad to come home and all that. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, the peninsulas became islands for, for like over a week. Yeah, exactly. And it happened again this past time, but not nearly to that extent. There was just some very minor flooding. Well, the roads are different now, right? The yeah. drainage is different. And a lot of weatherization has changed since uh, the blizzard of 78. Uh, but, you know, we're also in the coastline. Climate change is a real thing. If you live along the waters, you see all and over again. And, uh, you know, the, the defenses to our belt post 78, you know, are being tested, uh, you know, in the 21st century regarding, uh, you know, modern climate change and, and the more severe of the storm. And of course, there's a degree of development, right? Since 78, there's been greater development in dense urban areas, not just Quincy, but throughout the uh, coastline on, on denser, denser urban, which changes the sponges like referred to open space, creates uh, opportunity for water to be absorbed by, by the ground, you know, as opposed to be, you know, on concrete going into storm drains. So, you know, there's been a, you know, a lot of things different you know, from 1970, it was 45 years now. Yeah, 46, yeah. 46 years. So, you know, it's it's a whole different um, whole different uh, environment we live in uh, on so many different levels, you know, on the big global level regarding our climate, but also, you know, at the local level regarding uh, the development, you know, of not just Quincy, but all urban areas. Yeah, Marina Bay was not there in 1978. <laughs> no, there wasn't. I remember, I remember that was all marshland too. Um, and then you didn't have a high point. Um, you didn't have granite links. Um, you didn't have the modern downtown that we're now developing and impact on town book. 
Um, you know, even, you know, in the West Quincy areas, you know, I know a lot of homes been there a long time, uh, but, you know, he had also a different on and off ramps and development along the expressway. Some have stayed, some have gone. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously you have more multifamily homes built um, throughout the city. There isn't a neighborhood that doesn't have, well, that's not true. Most neighborhoods, uh, you know, have some multifamily units. Yep, absolutely. It looks like the work on the seawalls uh, did its job out on How's Neck, though. Yeah, I mean, the city did a great job uh, on those seawalls. You know, there was some state money that went into this, by the way. Then forget that. You know, there are a lot of uh, hodgepodge patchwork grants, as well as delegation voting for bond monies, as well as cash, uh, you know, for seawall defenses up and down the coastline. Um and, uh, you know, obviously city, you know, investment as well. So uh, I remember going to those community meetings about you know, how they want to build these seawalls, how high they really need to be. And uh, it's a big project because you don't have a good foundation under the seawall, then the whole thing is kind of pointless. Yeah, exactly. It just gets undermined by the ocean and uh, there goes your money literally out to sea. <laughs> oh, yeah. It doesn't matter how tall you build it. If right. the bottom isn't good, then it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's like the foundation on your house. Hmm. And also patching the the gaps in the walls. Um, you know, they did a lot of patching as well uh, in the wall area, so there's no seepage. Um, and of course, you know, I talked to the DCR about coastal defenses in general. Uh, you know, things like sand dune, seagrass, obviously does not apply to, to every part of Quincy coastline. Uh, but, you know, throughout the Massachusetts coastline, particularly uh, more than some of the natural beaches, you know, natural erosion and human development is taking away seagrass and sand dunes um, that, you know, that are there to, uh, naturally there to uh, provide some coastal defenses. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Even, uh, even, the, even the governor are taken in by the forecast. She had folks stay home and, uh, you know, did her usual uh, stay off the road speech. Well, which is funny because we had a couple of nor'easters already that I was scratching my head. We should have called a state emergency for, uh, given the wind and, uh, the severeness of the rain, even though it wasn't snow, uh, you know, Western mascot will act a little harder than we did on snow and some of the other past storms. So it was kind of like interesting how they pick and choose their their options. And, um, you know, I remember Governor uh, Patrick's first snowstorm, he completely misread that one. And he himself was trapped in traffic trying to get from Boston to Milton for many hours. And uh, he learned this lesson on the road about why we have state emergencies. So, <laughs> baptism but, by fire or snow. <laughs> well, it's when you're experiencing it yourself, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm the one that gets to decide whether or not we should clear the roads for traffic. Right. When right. you're stuck in yourself, stuck in traffic for a long time in the midst of a snowstorm, that you as the governor probably should have did something about earlier today. I mean, you know, there, there's a lesson to be learned there. Um, I was surprised how early was the governor's response at 3 p.m. Generally, they wait until the evening forecast yeah. to do that. Many schools also wait for the evening forecast, but a lot of um, school districts follow the governor's lead. So I was a little, I was a little surprised by the 3 p.m. report. Um, the storm, storm was still tough on the coastline. I mean, stuff was blowing sideways uh, at my house. I'm sure a lot of people living along the water have the same view I did. When the gusts came up, everything was blowing sideways. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, there was some, I saw a car in snows with Vermont license plates yesterday and New Hampshire plates, but you know, people coming in from the South Coast, uh, you know, also had uh, much more snow than we did, much more slicker. So, again, it's typical New England weather, right? Uh, 
you don't know what's going to be like. But generally, again, I, you know, state emergency generally occurs after the, the 6 p.m. forecast. So I was a little surprised it was a 3 p.m. Yeah, likewise, the Quincy schools canceled at uh, like 3 o'clock Monday afternoon, you know, along with the other ones. So um, it was, everybody was kind of jumping the gun. Yeah, and just so you all know, just because uh, the state was closed, I was, doesn't mean I wasn't working. We pivoted everything uh, to virtual meetings. So the days of, you know, the type of rescheduling because of the uh, not being in person opportunity because of weather events, uh, you know, is gone. I mean, mm -hmm. those days are gone. Um, so, you know, massive pivot uh, to all virtual meetings uh, this week um, in response to the snow. And again, these are things that we learned during COVID uh, that are now going to be with us uh, indefinitely. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of state emergency, sad to see that FEMA denied governor's request for emergency aid up on the, uh, was it the Lemonster area? They had that severe flooding. Yeah. I mean, you all seen the uh, footage. If you haven't, you definitely should. It's shockingly um, mm. frightening. And this is our complaint in FEMA in Massachusetts all the time. We play a lot of uh, flood insurance to FEMA as if you have a mortgage on your home in a flood zone, but we get nothing back. But you look down south with homes built that should not be built. Mm -hmm frankly, in flood zones, and to get money to rebuild the homes. And uh, this disparity of FEMA's um, behavior on, on on this type of grant program is is really baffling in my mind. Yeah, and it's, well, it's, it raises concerns that, you know, God forbid if something like that happened here, um, you know, which would also not receive FEMA assistance. Yeah, we didn't get that much from the, from the uh, 2017 storm. Yeah. Smacked around pretty well in the second one that that winter, and we didn't get a whole lot from from FEMA if I remember correctly. And mm. um, you know, and then you know we pay in, but we're not getting out. But you look down in the deep self, it's like you know they get smashed all the time in places they shouldn't be, and you know what we're paying for, yeah, what you're paying for up here. And I mean, you know, people who build homes on rivers that shift, rivers still shift naturally. And uh, down in those parts, we can get into like the Mississippi, lower Mississippi Basin. Those rivers do shift. And people build homes in the shifting region and covered by FEMA, which I find baffling. Mm -hmm. The place we should look next is Montpelier. Uh, you, you may remember that the uh, Montpelier was basically like eight feet underwater, the capital of Vermont. Yes, that's right. There was uh, impacts from a hurricane, I think, that did that. Yeah, and it just kept on going because the uh, brooks and rivers were so overflowed that they just wouldn't stop for like a week. And remember those videos of homes along a riverfront just falling in because there was never seen uh, that level of water. So we'll see if the, you know, I don't know what's the story idea, but I think that's a good follow-up to find out if if the Montpelier got any uh, FEMA money. Uh, yeah. It was worse than um, Lunenburg, but still... Um, you know, they get denied. I mean, what, what's going on down, down down at D.C.? Yeah, I've talked to Congressman Lynch about this in the past and, um, you know, didn't get a lot of concrete answers. It sounds like FEMA is kind of just this independent rogue agency that has no oversight and can do what they want. <laughs> well, apparently if it's not a hurricane, it doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, those of us that live in the snow areas, and I know I'm the east coast of Massachusetts is, is less snowier than the west side of Massachusetts, right? Or north of Mass or north of Massachusetts. I mean, the coastlines are a little bit different in the weather. But I mean, you know, is it just you have to be in like a category two hurricane zone to get money? I mean, right. that's very baffling.
So, yeah, and it has implications, too, for your homeowner's insurance. I know that, you know, they use different standards based on the severity of the storm, if it's a named storm, uh, what, the, what the response is to it. So, it, I mean, it has all kinds of insurance implications, too. Well, you also got, like, the Maui fires. Right. They're up to neck and bureaucratic red tape, you know, out in Hawaii. Um, I watched a short article about this and um, on CNBC the other day, it just happened to be on, and they were talking about the fact that, you know, state of Hawaii is, is having all kinds of challenges on getting FEMA money and, uh, you know, also distribution of aid because it's the islands, right? It's a whole different mm -hmm. ecosystem over there in, in Hawaii regarding transport of goods and services. And, uh, you know, the whole basic media was wiped out um, yes. in the fire. And uh, the, you know, you got nowhere to live. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, and still missing people. They can't find um, bodies, tragically. So, you know, sometimes we forget, you know, Hawaii is, you know, part of the country and it's so far away that, you know, we see a blip on the news and then we forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, over 100 people died. Um, you know, like you say, people lost homes, businesses, um, government buildings, schools, you know, they think they just got the kids back to school not too long ago. So it's going to be years of rebuilding. Yeah. And there's also a tourism region. Right. So, you know, obviously you don't have the amenities. I mean, tourists can't come. I mean, it's just, it's just common sense. Yeah. Remember the uh, massive tsunamis down in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually there in 2012, um, a couple of years after those tsunamis and, uh, they just, I mean, I was in um, Paquette. It was on my mom's bucket list trip, so to speak. And uh, they just didn't bother, um, like, because it's a totally different world out there. They just didn't bother removing debris. They just pushed it aside. Really? Cleared the roads, pushed the debris aside, rebuilt on places where it was stable, um, and just basically bulldozed over stuff. And then because it's, it's literally like an 80% tourism-driven business. So it was crucial for the government and the private industry to get themselves back into tourist ready, like, re, you know, get the beaches cleaned out, you know, rebuild or build brand new hotels and facilities, push debris, just push the debris aside. And I'm sure if you visit, you can still probably find it on off the road, like just push it off the road. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know I visited Jamaica many years ago um, soon after they had a hurricane and they did the same thing. It was still the evidence was still there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just. Just the industry, industries are so different from us, the way the economies are set up. Uh, time is of an essence to tell people it's okay and safe to come visit and spend money there, right? So, um, you know, here, obviously, people, you know, much more conscientious about the need to try to get everything cleaned up and out. Uh, but again, we also live in a different place. True. Um, speaking of, I was reading an article, you might have seen it too, uh, about the vacancy in Boston commercial space and how that's impacting um, state revenue. Well, yeah, it's impacting everybody. Yeah. I, I, I am at the state house. I mean, it, it, downtown crossing, you know, near the financial district. I've talked multiple times about a lot of the nicer restaurants are not open for lunch. Uh, even the mid-tier restaurants are not open for lunch. Generally, mm -hmm. Or take out places, small businesses that close at 6 p.m. They don't do the food day. They just do breakfast and lunch or open. And some of the businesses that were there pre-COVID are still empty storefronts. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it is it is quite devastating, uh, this, this hybrid work situation. 
uh, on the businesses that rely on, you know, business people to come in. Tourism isn't enough to to make up the difference on a daily basis. And it's also businesses like dry cleaning, the small wine shop, the small, you know, bodega type situation that you can find scattered around downtown and area in, in the um, financial district. And, you know, Emerson students and Suffolk students do provide a lot of support. However, you still have that massive uh, lack of white collar workers, um, you know, being there five days a week, right. uh, you know, consuming during the day, and then you do after hours. They don't; they're not there to do that. I think Rebecca's Cafe, even on Beacon Street, uh, under there, I think is gone. Uh, while I was hoping it was going to reopen, it was actually a good, quiet spot to meet people. Uh, large space, plenty of distance from each other, and you can you know, get some coffee and tea and sandwich or whatever and then you know have a quiet meeting uh, spot that's not inside the building i think that's gone so yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty rough and it impacts um sales tax um tax meals tax um impacts um how the city of boston also does it they get 0.75 percent of the meals tax as well uh and it's going to change the valuations of property for the city of boston next time they do their assessments uh, if there's nobody there uh, and people giving up the leases, at some point it's going to result in a shift in assessments of, of commercial real estate. Right. And it's going to be tough. Other places like New York and San Francisco, I know San Francisco's a mess. We all read about it. There is a bit of a comeback. I'm not saying it's like 100% full, but there is some kind of comeback. I'm not seeing the same thing happening in Boston. What do you, what do you attribute that to, Jackie? I think it's the uh, geographical issues and we're not tied to it. Like you have to show up at wall street at some point, right? A lot of your, you have to show up in the theater district at some point. Broadway is not something you can stream. Right. right? You still have to go. And a lot of their, you know, all their athletic centers are in the city areas, mm -hmm. right? Madison Square Garden, you know, all that stuff is, you know, in city or the big concerts, have a lot you know again tourism is different in those big cities than boston uh and uh and also international city you still have to do business you know in that way i mean all the big constants are there the un's there it's just such a different ecosystem and like massachusetts people are leaving the state to move to places like florida or warmer climates uh set permanently or semi-permanently but the same thing up here, the housing market isn't reflecting a, a massive glut of new homes. Right. People with means are the ones that are leaving. Obviously, people selling their homes, you know, are moving to a new home or they are they retiring. You know, we all know this. I mean, people sell their home and retire to to nicer climates, uh, or lower tax locations because you should. I mean, why not? Right. I mean, that's what you want, do it. But you retire, but I, I just you know, think that if you have a massive excess of people, you should have a massive glut of rental rental homes or rental apartments, as well as, you know, houses and condos and everything else glutting and flooding the market. And that's not happening in in Massachusetts and New York, despite what everyone says about the statistics. And I was bringing this up to people like, yeah, people are leaving. So where's the glut in the housing market? Right. That's a good point. Yeah. I wonder if at some point in the future, some of the commercial space that is vacant could be transported, transformed into residential space to help with the housing crisis. Very expensive to do that. Uh, and the reason is because commercial space and residential space have different standards. So you've sure. got to 
separate kitchen, separate bathroom. Office spaces don't have kitchens, the cubicles, the open, the open space. Right. You have a whole um, access point because you have centralized elevators. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a lot of office space isn't like people have this vision of these office spaces being like little cubby holes of their own suites like it's a small suite of like 1200 feet mm -hmm. yeah you can find them actually in condos that's been converted to offices which mm -hmm. does happen it was happening at one point when uh people weren't living in the city and office space was more valuable however you got to convert this you know wide open space which cubicles mm -hmm into um living i mean the weight is different alone on appliances right, right. yeah and you have to build each one has this hvac system each one needs its own water system they have to subdivide the whole thing out and you got to put up permanent walls i mean you're not going to put out paper thin right. walls then you have individual locking systems and everybody needs their own electrical systems and different circuit breakers so you yeah. rewired the whole building. It, it's it's uh, I, I I love it when Maribel talks about that. But um, I mean, just just the idea of rebuilding the electrical system, right? Every unit's gonna have its own circuit breakers. Yeah, probably when you run the numbers, it's probably cheaper to tear down and build new. Yeah, plumbing. You have to mm -hmm. put how much new plumbing through the building? Because uh, you only have like a small number of bathrooms and a floor. It's not like, yeah. you know, you have to like build new walls, you know, add new bathrooms. It's it, it it's when you're doing something that's like that big. It's not like the Schuster building out in North Quincy. You know, that's a was a small factory complex that's essentially three stories when they converted to condos. And they didn't convert the whole thing to condos. It's just the the upper floors. First floor was South Coast Community Health Center. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's open yeah. Yeah, that's what we're seeing with the new developments that are proposed, right? It's uh, it's a combination, ground floor retail and then uh, upper floor residential. So it's designed that way. Yeah, but those are old factory buildings, right? Even the Central Middle School, I yep. know that was a very costly project because they kept the brick frame up. Um, they yes. were steel from wood. Uh, still, I mean, you still had kind of like the plumbing electrical systems and everything you know, while it was ancient, you had to gut it all anyway, and just right. I remember when they did that, and you, yeah, it was just it was just a skeleton that was standing there. <laughs> yeah, they tried to do that with like a downtown building in Boston that's fifteen stories. Yeah, yeah. it's it's like a different conversation, right? It's one thing where you have uh, three or four stories, um, or you need to gut the building anyway. In the case of Central, uh, but you got a fifteen-story building, and you know, 20,000 square feet or whatever per floor. Um, it's like building a hotel uh, situation. You, you have to have all these things that are different. Uh, smaller development projects and old industrial buildings are, are significantly easier. You don't mind having that 15-foot high ceiling. You mm -hmm. know, a lot of old schools in Quincy have these massively tall mm -hmm. ceilings. Yep. You know, you don't have that. You have a whole different situation regarding... 15-story tall and higher apartment, I mean, office complexes. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's it's uncharted territory, so, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I wonder if, you know, the exodus from Boston commercial would benefit cities like like Quincy, where it might be cheaper to do business and develop a smaller, you know, complex for your for your business. Well, what it does is uh, people that work from home in right. those communities, they're 
going to still eat up those local parking spaces. So like the Quincy downtown is obviously now high rises and people are not leaving uh, home. So they consume the local parking spaces. Uh, secondly, if you move to like a smaller community, uh, local businesses, particularly places uh, that are restaurants, uh, would um, uh, have more service deliveries mm -hmm. because people may not have time to make lunch at home and they want to buy a pizza or a sandwich or a number of things. Maybe they'll come out and pick it up or, you know, have it delivered. So it keeps, you know, Uber Eats and, and other online platforms, you know, active where you make the phone call and they have to hire delivery service, which actually creates a higher cost for those restaurants. Because mm -hmm. they, they don't even that, right? Yeah. yeah, and they don't normally use takeout containers at the level. That was mm -hmm. actually an interesting thing when I was in Plymouth on a listening tour of my former chair, Sue Moran, the senator from Barnstable. And that was actually one of the things that was brought up really quickly by the restaurants. So like, we're small businesses, we never really open for lunch. And even then at night, we don't do that much takeout. Now they're paying through the nose for plastic. Um, and you know, they couldn't get at the time they couldn't get even ketchup packets, right? The whole thing was insane on, on supply chain. Yeah. And you couldn't, couldn't provide all the necessary additional things you would want uh, on a takeout because they literally didn't exist. Interesting. So, you would never think of that, yeah, but of course it makes perfect sense. Yeah, because people expect, you know, by French fries, you expect ketchup. So the other problem was the cost and you know, cost of uh, durable goods on takeout containers and so forth are not gone down. I mean, the, the inflation has kept everything up, but you're not going to see massive uh, deflation on products. You, it's going to be a price reduction, but it won't be so dramatic that mm -hmm. the savings can be passed on to consumers easily. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, it's kind of, if you're like in an office, comp, you know, office complex restaurant, you're in trouble. We are, if you're like a restaurant in like an apartment building, People are going to be probably doing more business than normal. It's it's really inequitable to explain because everything's apple and oranges. So if you're in a suburban community, yeah. it's very different if you're working from home. Uh, and again, it also like impacts the parking, you know, in those urban areas where people are never leaving home to go to work. Right. So yeah, exactly. This will keep shaking out. I'm sure there'll be more studies and economist studies and things like that during the second half of this year. To see the you know, economic impact and you know, surveying big corporations about what's going on, and, mm -hmm. and you've seen the tech industry is laying off tons of people again. Um, and some companies are you know saying you know show up or get fired because mm -hmm. uh, particularly in that industry where you're having massive layoffs, the, the technology industry is kind of like, huh, uh, you're not showing sure for work. I there's a whole bunch of people that are looking for jobs right now. Yeah, it's so true. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh free market enterprise rules right <laughs> yeah i think in that sector particularly the tech sector uh they had a massive hiring during covid uh they got fat and happy so to speak and now that there's an adjustment in the economy you know they're now in trim down mode uh like you know that's how capitalism works you need people when you have high demand you don't need people when the demand goes down it's very simple uh, and uh, so those industries, you know, people getting forced back to the office sooner is most likely going to be the industries of having layoffs currently. Mm -hmm. um, have you had a chance at all, Tacky, to look at the governor's uh, municipal reform package proposal? No. Okay. Just curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, guys, I'm very straightforward. Yes and no answers sort of thing. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I know it's still I'm, early in, in the whole budget process. Yeah, I'm not going to, honestly, this stuff I don't worry about until the committee actually has a chance to vet the whole thing. I'm more interested once the committees actually vet their bills, then I'll go and take a peek at what's going on. Because That makes sense. It's your time better spent that way, of course. Yeah, yeah it's a waste of my time to look at, look, guys, this is how it works with us in the legislature, right? It's, if I get a governor's bill, great, I can stare and break it apart and study it. However, the committee that actually looks at said bill is the one that really breaks it apart and studies it. Once the committee makes a decision on a redraft, the release summaries and additional supported documentation for me and my staff to look at as a heads on to whatever next stage committee, generally it would be Ways and Means. Ways and Means will also do another review and then make tweaks against the committee one if there's new information appears or they find out something was but wasn't or wasn't and was. Uh, and then they'll make an adjustment of ways and means and we'll review the ways and means version. And when it hits the floor, amendments pop up. And then we talk to the committee chairs and staffs and find out well, what are the stuff and amendments. And then the individual reps will start setting out um, summaries of their own amendments. Mm -hmm. So you can look at that stuff. But stage one on bills, you know, it is the committee's responsibility to go at it first. And then the rest of us will... will it will review after a committee reports. So my situation on a municipal bill, uh, initially they had a false start about this alcohol license. Anybody can have a license scenario. I remember so, that, yes. <laughs> yeah, where the press release, we talked about this earlier, right? Someone's sleep at the switch. We talked about this last time it happened. Yes. Well, after it happened that same week, someone was fall asleep at the switch and didn't have the right speech for the governor, lieutenant governor at Mass Municipal, because it wasn't in the bill. Then we got the bill, you know, over the weekend and then got the call, like, it's not there. And I'm like, what well, they said it was there, but it's not there. And right. chairman yeah. of the committee oversees alcohol licensing and the policies around alcohol. So I was like, well, it's not there. My part's done. <laughs> yeah, that was a big oops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Mackie doesn't have to deal with it now. Uh, so uh, obviously if there's Things that pop up that's not in the bill that people have you know ideas about. Right? Phone calls will be made to other chairs like, "Hey, you know, I heard this. Have you heard about this kind of story?" So uh, the resources are there uh, in the building with different chairs, and chairs can engage other chairs. On I never seen this. Have you seen it before? Yeah. So it's a, it's it's all about communication. <laughs> Uh, agreed. It is yeah. a big part of our, our lives. And uh, also how we, people under this you know conception that I know every single bill that comes out, right? There's 5,000 of these things. I don't, I know a lot of stuff, but expectation is that I can know 5,000 bills. It's just unrealistic. Sure. Um, there's a lot coming up uh, locally uh, this, believe it or not, this month, right? We've got Lunar New Year. We've got Winterfest celebration. There's, oh yeah, there's a presidential primary not too far away as well. <laughs> yeah, the next few weeks, there's a lot going on. Uh, you know, Gunghei Fa Choi, Sunli Fa Lok, Gunghei Fa Choi is View the Dragon, came around February 10th. And like I said, it's a lot of family time in the first few days. And then most celebrations occur afterwards. And Quinjage Resources has been hosting this event for not the entire length of memory. This was hosted by the old Committee of Refugees and Immigrants. 
but it's been many, many, many decades now. Yeah, uh, this is the 36th annual. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Again, they tweak it every year. And uh, it's a great place for people to spend an hour or so and visit vendors, eat wonderful food, and watch performances. Uh, regretfully, I would not be there this year. I missed a couple last time. It was a major fever uh, during 2020, February. Um, but uh, I'll be away next week, a uh, school vacation week. Uh, we're some, getting some warmth. And hopefully, as you can hear from my throat, uh, resolve this dry cough. I'm now convinced that this isn't a cold anymore. It's just this very uh, dry weather. And the temperature shifts is causing this uh, dryness in the back of my throat. So we're going to head place a, a bit warmer with some more humidity. I can't believe I'm saying that at each age. Um, uh, to see if I can get some rejuvenation. Uh, because once we hit March 1st, it's going to be insane. Oh, uh, sure. yeah. uh, in, the, in the building. So uh, anticipates to be very, very busy. We, we may, may not be in session. There's no hearings, but a lot of uh, uh, movements going to occur behind the scenes and conversations and meetings. Uh, and of course, Winterfest, city's done a great job at um, the Adams Park in front of City Hall. Uh, and crowds and crowds of people go through there. And, uh, people should plan their um, driving through the center of the city around that event. Uh, but you know, the city does an incredible job on that. Presidential primary may be quite muted uh, on Super Tuesday. Uh, you know, there's really just one candidate for the Democratic Party in the stage. And Biden has pretty much demonstrated that it consolidated around him as the incumbent president. Um, frankly, Nikki Haley needs to blow the doors out on Super Tuesday. Uh, well, she has to win South Carolina, her home state. I'm not optimistic, as you can hear. Uh, Trump is going to probably blow the doors off of her uh, in South Carolina. And I just don't see her recovering with any momentum if she doesn't win in South Carolina. Big win, not just a win, big win. Uh, to go with some momentum Super Tuesday. If she doesn't uh, come up with a huge win on Super Tuesday in South Carolina, Trump's going to demolish her. Like, just absolutely demolish her in the Republican primary on Super Tuesday. And I think turnout will be low uh, in both political parties because it's a foregone conclusion scenario. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but true for sure. Um, but uh, it's still, you know, the options are there for early voting, mail-in voting. Uh, so this, I mean, it's easier than ever to vote now. Yeah, everyone should have got a little postcard from the Secretary of State's office already, allowing to do mail-in ballots for the presidential primary in the fourth, as well as the September primary and the November final. You can choose which ones you want. Uh, it has to be back, I believe, February 29th. Uh, if you decide uh, to uh, get ballots later on, it, you can still apply um, on down the road to get a, uh, a ballot for a primary and whatnot. The forms will be online at City Hall or go to City Hall or you call us and we'll mail you a form. Clark's office is very cooperative. My office is happy to put things in the mail for you. Uh, so uh, even if you feel you can show up on the 4th, don't feel like you can't apply for mail-in ballot for the fall. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Um, anything else, Tacky? I know you're uh, going to get going a little earlier today. Um, not too much else is going on, I think. Uh, I saw the House Asian Caucus uh, had an event earlier this week. Uh, yeah, we worked, uh, well, we had a meeting of Taiwanese students with universal basic income, so 
that was an interesting conversation as part of an uh, educational exchange program, again, post-COVID-ish situation where students are traveling uh, to different schools. Um, so that was pretty good. And you know, we had Quincy High School students come in uh, to talk. Uh, that was part of this. I didn't even, I can't, I didn't even know what it's called. It's, it's a business education uh, forum, uh, presentations. And it was great seeing students in the state. I was like, really missed it. And the whole day blew up because my schedule got screwed up. So it was a Monday of tacky scheduling chaos. <laughs> and it, it worked out. It was fun. Actually, I enjoyed the chaos, believe it or not. The whole thing got exploded. And I'm like, this is fun. Um, staff wasn't happy, but I was. Uh, and then the Masters Asian Commission, the Masters Asian American Pacific Islander Commission had a swearing in of new commissioners of Treasurer Goldberg. And uh, House Asian Caucus members were there. Um, and then we're kind of in a situation of watching people who are not going to run for election. Uh, I'm running for election. Bruce Ayers is. Speaker Ron Mariano is. Senator John Keenan is. So the delegation, you know, will be collecting, uh, running around collecting signatures for our nomination papers soon. Uh, so uh, obviously we'd like to get on the ballot. Um but you know, we're watching around the state of the colleagues and the house were up to 11 members not returning. Wow. Um, many of those folks are in leadership. Some are running for other offices like the Sue Moran seat, my friend Sue Moran, uh, the, the Plymouth to Barnstable Senate seat, two reps are gonna run for that seat uh, so far. Uh, Mark Pacheco, <clears throat> who is also leaving, Senator. I've known many years uh, out of the Taunton area. Uh, that may or may not drive uh, some representatives to to run for that seat. Um, and then we're waiting to see if any county officials leave uh, and if any representatives also decide to uh, pursue other offices elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's still a lot of time for status to change. Uh, and by my count, uh, we in the House, we have a second leader position opening up, a floor leader position opening up, chair of education, Chair of Veterans, um, Chair of a Labor and Workforce. We have a Vice Chair of Natural Resources, a Vice Chair of Rules, Vice Chair of Post Audit. So we have quite a few leadership positions opening up. Um, and then some folks that um, were kind of like speculating on leaving have announced for running for re-election. Okay. But things can change, uh, you know, I saw folks literally change their mind from like a Sunday to like a Wednesday. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's a lot of factors I'm sure come into play. They, they speak with their families. Uh, that, you know, that has some influence I'm sure as well. And, um, you know, the personal factors that we don't know about. Well, uh, you're correct. The biggest factor is personal life, right? Qual I talked about quality of life a lot in this game. Um, paying for college tuition is a big deal. Uh, folks that have second businesses, second jobs besides the status job, sometimes have to prioritize. This I've seen this happen a lot, actually, uh, where prioritizations changed, where their business is taking a higher focus, it makes more money, family issues come first, uh, you don't want to drive three hours to the state house, uh, even though we have virtual today. Uh, and you know, those of us in the life knows that you know going to the supermarket can be a hassle for some folks. Mm -hmm. So you can get stopped, you know, and ask questions. And I'm always very polite and try to answer people's questions. Sometimes they're happy, sometimes they're not, and have a conversation. And 
um, you know, I keep a business card or two on me and, you know, have people call the office or follow up by email, um, you know, when I'm out in public. Uh, some folks that can be very grinding. Like you're at your kids' a little league game and people are on you about something they're angry about. And this can really grind um, some families as well as electives. Yeah. So, you know, I always advise folks when I go to um, talk about how to lobby, believe it or not, I get invited to various groups. I tell folks be very respectful of time of any elected, doesn't matter what office they hold, particularly at family events, especially at family events, because those are the moments that nobody gets back. So, you know, you're having a birthday party for your mom and you see elected. I mean, you want to say hi, say hi quick, but don't bog them down for like a 30-minute complaint session. Right. You know, kind of catch up on a different time, you know, take a card and, and you know, let them enjoy the mom's birthday party, right? So you'd be surprised how inconsiderate it can be for some folks. Uh, and like I said, every, everybody's different and everybody has different tolerances for this that are elected. Uh, and every district's different too uh, on you know, how much, you know, constituents are chasing people down. So, you know, I want to, you know, wish well, you know, some of my, uh, friends that I came in office with, Denise Garment from Needham, who chairs education is not running again. She's my classmate from 2011. Paul Schmid from Westport chairs agriculture, and he's actually a member of the House Asian Caucus, another person that was elected with that year too. So, you know, from 2011, a whole lot has changed and it's going to continue to change. But your Quincy delegation will still be here. All right, holding true. <laughs> Uh, time to get out your uh, contact information. Speaking of uh, <laughs> getting you messages, Jackie. Sure, 617-722-2370. 617-722-2370 is the phone number. It is uh, Representative uh, Paracella's uh, phone line because the chair of that committee, Economic Development, runs the suite. So you have to wait a little bit to get to my part of the prompts. If the person at the front desk is has a multiple phone line situation, obviously you go to the auto system, the person can't pick up in time uh, if it's a busy day. Tacky.chan at mahouse.gov, T-A-C-K-E-Y.chan at mahouse.gov. You can find me there. Um, it's been, email's been much more quieter, but in about four weeks, we're closing the budget, it's going to flood. Uh, obviously, uh, you can uh, reach us at, uh, well, I don't encourage it, but you can see us on social media at X at Tacky Chan, as well as State Representative Tacky Chan Facebook. I don't encourage Facebook or Twitter messages. Uh, it's it, it's just, again, it's direct contact back by email is, is the preferable way to go, or phone calls is the preferable way. TackyChan.org, people actually use that website. I do get um, the forms filled out and go straight to my email box at the State House. Uh, please do fill out all the contact parts, please, so I can call you back and find you. Uh, but yeah, well, people actually use that website. Uh, and of course, mlegislature.gov is this legislature's website. You can go find your bills as well as watch uh, what's going on with us in sessions and public hearings. Uh, right now, the clerk is still reading reports in. I was in a session on Monday uh, reading uh, Lunar Year uh, recognition, and I got a peek into the tin. And uh, there's a lot of stuff in the tin. So uh, be patient on the website. We're being patient at our level waiting for our computer systems update on, on bill actions. Uh, and of course, you can join us on QA TV, uh, whether it be with Joe or Mark, and obviously with Joe Moore. 
just by default. <laughs> well, actually, I was surprised. Uh, some of the high school students I saw on Monday told me that their parents and their other relatives actually listened to us. Oh, wow. Oh, well, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, big thank you uh, for uh, those folks. I won't name the kids' names, but you know your kids and your nephews and nieces and so forth. So, you know, thank you uh, for you to listening and, uh, you know, had a great time with your family members on Monday. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that we need to have an audience. It's not, it's not just our families watching. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, if we were dependent on ratings to stick around, I'm not sure how that would go for either one of us in our jobs. Yeah, I think <laughs> we would need second jobs. <laughs> yes, that'd be very true. Yeah. So thank you for listening. And of course, if you enjoy us, you know, drop Joe a line. Most definitely drop Joe a line. Um, and let us know, you know, what, what you're thinking. And, um, you know, also give us some feedback. Uh, and since Joe's a host, that's why you drop Joe to line. That's fine. I'm happy to, to correspond with folks. I'd love to hear from them. Absolutely. I want to wish you a very uh, happy, safe, restful uh, time off, uh, Tacky. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, hopefully, again, this this thing might throw a clear up with, with, with the change. And I'll see you uh, probably um, before the before leap day gets. That's right. It's, it's an extra day in February this, this this year. So, okay, we'll catch up one more time this month. Thanks again. Take care, Joe.